subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Hello everybody and welcome back to Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always, my lovely co-host and editor. Hello, I am Rex. And we are here for a surprise bonus episode that wasn't actually planned until about maybe 24 hours ago. Planned. 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 Yeah, planned. Yes. We 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 planned, we plotted, we ployed, we planned, and we, we figured it out. We got it. We're good. Yes. Yes. Very professional. Yes, absolutely. We we totally had this all figured out and uh yeah, we're we're good. We're good. Are you good? I'm great. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. What are we talking about? What do you mean what are we talking about? What 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 are we talking about? Oh my god. This this absolute imbecile already forgot that today, well, since it's the for us it is the end of October. Um when this is coming out, it would likely be early November. We figured and you know, there's been a little break since our recordings. We figured <laughs> Yeah. We figured, hey, maybe we should just do a little bonus episode to discuss everything we've been watching during October. You know. Episodes are getting pretty long and so, you know, don't wanna necessarily cut short the conversations we could have on a couple of films that we've seen and and or take away from the time for you know our other full-length episodes right right because i mean we love we love the opening banter we love chatting about what we've seen and and all that like that's that's probably some of my favorite stuff and some of the funniest things i think but no we we so Full disclosure, we're recording this before the end of the year, so we're still going to see some films ourselves before Munchy the end means. of the year. Yes, yes, month. Um, God, he's I, I will at least watch one that I know of, which will be John Carpenter's The Fog. I always watch it on Halloween. That is how I <laughs> celebrate, I guess, as I watch that movie. So the one John Carpenter movie you always watch on Halloween is... Not the one titled Halloween. Halloween. Yes. Have you ever watched Halloween? Uh, I've seen it once. Okay, at least you've seen it. So I will at least see that. What about you? Is there anything you're gonna watch at least on Halloween or before uh, Halloween? I might watch either Halloween or Halloween three, maybe. There's also maybe an opportunity for me to go see Cure or um, House, which, depending on circumstances, I might do. It depends. <laughs> but gotcha. I might be able to see them in theaters. Maybe. Maybe. Nice. So, outside of that, um, before we, we really dive into into the topic of what we've watched... um. Today's or this month has been pretty interesting. We uh we did Zombie Month, 
Oh yeah. <laughs> we did Zombie Month, which uh, you know, even though I was done with zombie movies, I had it in me to cover four more. So Somehow. hopefully everybody enjoyed us discussing zombie movies and uh look yeah, forward to whatever we have should go watch versus and one cut of the dead and then you can decide <laughs> which of us is correct it's obviously me no bing bong you're wrong i know about that one chief you're wrong I know about that. <laughs> um but we also so on our live show we do once a month well so far i do but hopefully rex can start joining me someday uh we got to have mr kyle yount of collect all monsters kaiju cast and uh, kaiju con line on to talk about japan and moving to japan because it just so happens both him and i well he definitely i maybe might be moving to japan very soon so pretty exciting hmm. where's my invitation um once i move in if you want to if you want to come visit you can Wow, visit. Wow. I mean, if you want to split the bill and promise to not take my stuff and, and, and abuse all of my stuff, go right ahead. But I, I have a strict... But, yeah, no, going to Japan would be fun. Um, it would be. It would be a lot of fun. Mm. We've also been keeping up with our learning as well. Yeah, yeah. Fairly well we, uh, considered. We just hit a month straight. Yeah. God, now we'd probably now we'd probably be at like five weeks now or some something like that or almost. I believe it's thirty three days. Oh. Close enough. It's close to it's close to close enough. Four and a half. So no, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's been exciting and uh I'm like slowly yeah. starting to be able to read and understand little bits more and more which is very exciting for me likewise except i'm not nearly as uh experienced and uh proficient as you are mm -hmm. but no it's it's been a lot of fun it's been a lot of fun and you know speaking of fun i had a lot of fun tonight as of this recording because i got oh. to go to the movies oh yeah so uh, we'll talk about that here in a little oh, bit, actually. What? Yeah, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you leave gotta me hold. in the dark here. Yeah, I'm gonna leave you in the dark, and uh, we'll we'll come back to this in five nights. So, let's jump into our theatrical films that we've watched. Um, okay, now, Rex, then, you've then watched... you should start. You should start. You know? No, I, I Rex, why don't you go why ahead? Are you leaving and start... me in the dark like this, man? Because I uh, I think that we could have a brilliant discussion after we talk about what each of us individually have seen in theaters. So, Rex, why don't you share with the class a couple of your of the titles you've seen, and then I'll share some, and then you can share some more, and then we can talk about this big one that I saw tonight. <laughs> okay, then. Well, um, very recently for me, I had the very fortunate opportunity to attend a film festival, specifically the Japanese film festival. Lucky. See, yes. And see a couple rather interesting films, namely Takashi, Shimizu, Takashi Shimizu's Immersion, or okay. Kakaijima. Kake, 
Kikaijima, um, Hideo Nakata's The Forbidden Play, and Godzilla Minus One director Takashi Yamazaki's Ghost Book on Yokaipedia. So why don't we... Tell me, tell me a bit about Shimizu and Nakata's films. Okay, so the first, the first one I saw, Immersion, I saw on Friday night, and that is probably it's a fairly standard fare, um, like two thousands J horror, all things considered. I had fun with it. It's very well shot. Um, Shimizu, Shimizu is a great director, like visually, um, and he's pretty good at you know building tension as well in his scenes. But I kind of think, out okay, the first big issue with his films, his scripts are very hit or miss. You could say this being. Absolutely no exception for that, because while I thought the film was interesting um, and had a lot of interesting ideas with going on with this sort of, it, it's it's a ghost story. Like it's you've got your Onryo ghost, but it the ghost is in like a the the ghost is killing people in VR, mm-hmm. and so you've got this interesting like. Um, you could have this interesting uh, juxtaposition between like traditional like Japanese mythology and like modern technology, which might have been a part of the film, but it's not really highlighted. Um, but yeah, the film's biggest issue for me was just that the script is a is a mess, and especially the ending, which was a complete head scratcher. If I'm going to be honest, like, it's not even that I'm just an idiot. It's just, like, I, I was having a discussion, because, you know, there's a legitimate chance that that could be why. But, like, I was talking to some other people that were at the screening uh, the next the next afternoon uh, after seeing Forbidden Play. And, you know, we talked a bit about immersion and we, we, we agreed that the film was absolutely beautiful. And there's definitely like symbolic and thematic elements that we know that we are missing. Like we picked up on some of it, but we have, we, neither of us really understood it to its full extent, but at the same time, the script is still really messy. Um, Mm -hmm. And then another thing that really stood out to me, and I mean, this isn't something, uh, this isn't something that's like a new idea. I'm not the first to like say the this kind of thing, but it, it really stuck out to me that in, when watching Immersion that a big reason why J-horror just isn't popular, isn't as popular as what it used to be, is just that we still really have not moved past the 2000s j horror has not moved past ring or the first jewel really really yeah no i mean the issue with immersion is it just kind of it feels like a new glossy coat of paint over everything we've kind of already seen before 
like the fundamental mystery of the story. The VR element is new, but the actual mystery is about like, you know, how are these? How did these two people? in two completely different spots, die at the same time. Sounds a bit familiar. Sounds kind of like Ring. You've got scare scenes that are pretty much taken straight from Juon the Grudge. Like, you know the you know the scene in the shower from Juon yes. where, like, the hand comes out of the hair? Mm-hmm. There's a scene very similar to that where um, instead of in the shower, the lady's in the bath and the hand comes out. So kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, less sexual, but yeah, sort of like that. Gotcha. So, and, and, and if I'm cutting you off here, just tell me that right now, but that's an interesting thing because I feel like J horror in general, like that, that's a discussion to be had. Oh, 100%. The weird connection and the weird, like fixation that the genre has because and this is what i think is most interesting your major players 20 years ago for ring juan tomie and whatnot are still the same players that are playing the field now yeah and yeah that, you know interesting that you bring up tomie because um well this film isn't specifically taking from tomie the next film i'm going to talk about definitely i got reminded of Tommy A. Um but yeah no like you've still got like we we're still focusing on like the dead wet girls with unbreakable curses. You still got the technophobia. And I mean there's a new fresh kind of paint on that with the VR element but I don't think the film really explores that well. Mm-hmm. Um and even the ending, I felt, I don't know whether it was intentional, but I definitely got like a pulse vibe a little bit from the ending as well. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, even though it's, it, it's, it's not really like Pulse's ending, I just kind of got that vibe from it. Um, gotcha, gotcha. It's a lot more confusing than Pulse's ending. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. I, I don't want to dive because I, I feel like there's a pretty interesting conversation to be had here, but I don't want to dive into it until um you talk about your next one as well. Mm, okay. So because everything you're saying right now is, is very interesting. And I think I mean I, I, I would love I and I'm I'm wanting to. I want to have a conversation here about Japanese horror in its current state. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, do you want to talk about one of your films, or should I move on to Forbidden Play? Go ahead and bring yours up, and then I'll briefly talk about mine, because there's not a lot to say. And okay. then, let's let's kind of dive into a topic here between between oh, these titles. And one, one other thing I also want to mention that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I did, I did legitimately enjoy Immersion. I don't. I think the script is not very good, but I had. I did have fun watching it. Like I never found it really boring. It's always an interesting film that is always interesting to look at. But um, one thing that I thought was pretty nice was that before the movie actually started, 
there was actually a um, a video uh, from Takashi Shimizu, like a video message from him for the festival that played before the movie, which was pretty cool as well. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it at all, but I, it was a nice little surprise. What did the uh, What did the video say? Um, he talked. I, I don't really remember too well. He kind of just like he talked a bit about it's so cool that my movie could come to Australia, you know, a country I've never been to, but these audiences across the world would be interested in seeing my works. Um, he talked a little bit about like the movie's like premise and how he wanted to like explore trauma in it. I want to say, like, I might be misremembering what he said specifically. But yeah, it was only like a short video. It didn't really go too crazy, like in depth into anything, but it, it was mm-hmm. a nice little surprise. Okay. But yeah. And then the next film I saw was Hideo Nakata's The Forbidden Play, which thankfully w- um, was a bit more original than Shimizu's film, I'd say. Mm-hmm. It, it's based on a book of a similar title that has not been translated into English. Um, and yeah, it's it's a different story. Like it's, you've got your like some like tropes of J horror. Like you you do have the ghostly girl in a white dress appearing at a couple points in the film, a la you know Ring, Julia Day, all that type, all that type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the twist in this is that it's not an onrio. It's actually an ikirio, I believe is the word, which is instead of being a dead avenging spirit, it's actually a living spirit. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the forbidden play is basically about like this guy, his wife and son get in a car accident his wife dies, but his son miraculously survives. And, but his wife's, his, his son keeps praying to his wife's body that, so, uh, to make her like come back to life, mm-hmm. which she slowly starts coming back to life. Um, and it, it, it which kind of reminded me of Tomie in a way, even though it's not, it's not quite Tomie. But it's a bit similar to that. Meanwhile, we also learn that his wife was kind of a horrible person (laughs) who was, you know, before her death, she was haunting this one girl who had a crush on the main character of the movie, who was like a co-worker. Um, And yeah, said curse kind of starts coming back now that the wife has died. And yeah, without going into too many spoilers, it's it's okay. It, it's okay. okay. I I didn't love it. It strangely does not feel a lot like a Nakata film. Okay. It, it's it's a you know you kind of when you think of a Nakata film like Ring or Joy Day or even Dark Water, you kind of think of something that's a lot more subdued. Um, whereas this was strangely, um, 
strangely bombastic for a Nakata film, especially in the final act. <laughs> okay. And without giving anything away, what does that include? Um. Well, it's you. You know, you've got your monster chasing the characters in the third act. You've got lightning. You've got like. Small, not explosions, but like I don't know how to really describe it without like giving away all the spoilers. But it's it it it's more bombastic and I guess action packed than you would expect from a Nakata film. Hell, it's even a little gorier than most Nakata films, especially in the middle. <laughs> like there's a there's people slicing, getting their heads sliced off in this movie in one scene. Oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, Nakata's films typically don't really show much of any real gore, typically. Right, right. Usually they're very subtle with with how they do things. Like, it's not, like, horrifically graphic, but, like, for a Nakata film, I I found it quite surprising to see, to, you know, even see that (laughs) at all. Right. So... Did you have anything else you wanted to mention? Um, not off the top of my head, no. Okay. So that brings me to kind of a, I mean, we can, you know, however long we want to go with this discourse is mm-hmm. fine. So with that being said, so I got to see Pulse yes. or Cairo in, in theaters. Which, I mean, we've we've talked about how I'm not a huge fan of that film. And I think it's I, okay. It's all right. See, I, even after watching it in, in theaters, it wasn't that good. I think it's but, overrated, but I do like it. See, I, I still didn't like it. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't really for me. It wasn't for me. Hmm. But with that being said, I'm curious. Why do you think J-Horror hasn't hit the reset button yet? Um, Like, what exactly do you mean with that question specifically? So, I mean, we you brought it up how both uh, The Forbidden Play and... Uh, immersion. Immersion both suffer from the the lack of originality and how I, I will we... say immersion is definitely or not immersion um forbidden play sorry is definitely the more original of the two i actually don't think it's a, that big of an issue with forbidden play cuz at least it does kind of feel a bit more fresh but okay. i think it is a legitimate I think it's a legitimate issue with like immersion that nothing here is really breaking new ground. Okay. So why do you think that we haven't been able to move on past the huge success that both uh, Ring and Juan were and the other films like Pulse and One Missed Call and whatnot that kind of followed after that rode that exciting wave of Japanese horror? Uh, I guess just there's nothing 
none of the new like modern J horror films that have been made have really been like original or an original enough or good enough to you know captivate a lot of audiences and have been and they haven't been successful enough for that because like I'm not gonna like sit here and say that like modern J horror is just bad because it's not I enjoy uh, I enjoy some modern J horror films even though they're not always great like the ones I've seen and enjoyed like uh uh there's this one film on Netflix called Reslash Member from 2022 uh-huh. is pretty fun. You know, it's, you've still got your, like your dead on girls and all that, but you know, it's, it's still a fun and enjoyable movie, but um, yeah, no, it's just, we're kind of, we just keep retreading similar slash the same ground and right. just not bringing enough new to the genre. I mean, immersion in particular, there's not much that really separates the unreal of that movie, Imajo, to being all that much different from Sadako. Right. Even her backstory is it's not the same as Sadako's, but it cover it it covers similar ground. Um with her being involved in like a love affair with like a guy's wife or a guy, a, a guy and his wife finding out. Sorry. And then her getting um, like uh, killed uh, by the town folk and all that. Like it's, it's a bit different from Sadako's backstory, but it's not, it's not really different enough to be all that new ground, you know? Right. Right. And yeah, the film doesn't really do very much with its VR element as well. And what it does do kind of just leads to a really confusing ending that just, I, I, I did not know and I still don't quite understand what actually happened in it, <laughs> in its ending. Okay. So... It's funny you say that because for because I mean immersion. It's directed by Takashi Shimizu. Like, yeah, like I you should mentioned. mention it's also I want to say it's the fourth entry in his like anthology series of like, uh, like rural, rural like village set um, Japanese horror films. Like in the same anthology series? Suicide Forest Village, Howling Village, and um, Oxhead Village. I'm pretty sure Immersion is a part of that series. See, I feel like I've heard that before. I definitely think I've heard about that. Because I remember hearing about that like when it was first announced. Or at least when I first heard about the film. So, it's funny because one of the films that I watched this month was uh, Shock Labyrinth. 3D, mm-hmm. um, which is surprisingly weird and confusing and doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so like hearing you talk about the 
the confusing nature of this film is, I mean, for me, it's like, yeah, I definitely um, could understand why, because Shock Labyrinth had that same issue for me, where mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know what I'm watching here. Like, what just happened? I, I don't know. Yeah. And so, you know, hearing that, I, I I genuinely do believe that a lot of it comes from the lacking scripts that Shimizu he doesn't write them right like I'm not crazy he doesn't write um, his own films I'm pr- it depends I think yeah he is what uh, credited as one of the writers for immersion but I at least according to Letterbox he's not uh, he did not write Shock Labyrinth. Gotcha. Because I was going to say, a part of me wonders if it's just the stuff that he picks up. Maybe it's something like he likes the idea of it being a confusing ending. But for me, it's like, mm, that doesn't that doesn't really work. I don't know. It's. Yeah, it just. The film's ending immersions just did not work for me at all. Like, I understood. Like. One, I, I understand how it was relating to, like, the main character's, like, arc, but I didn't really actually understand the ending itself, mm-hmm. and I didn't, and it left me feeling really unsatisfied, because I'm like, what, what, what just happened in this last 10 minutes of the movie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, I literally just could not follow what happened in, like, the last few scenes. Hmm. Because it it, it just happened so quickly. I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay, what? What just happened? (laughs) Can we we go back for a minute? (laughs) So would you, would you recommend, like, would you recommend these films? I would recommend them if you like... If if you'd all, like want a little J horror fix and are curious about like modern J horror, I think these are both entertaining films. Like I, even though I don't really think Ivor is is particularly very good, I did enjoy watching both of them. Um, immersion is a like I said before is visually always interesting. Like, I love, like, Shimizu, like, you can tell he's grown as a director from, you know, the first, like, Jewel and the Curse film. Because he's got, he's got, he pulls a lot of different tricks in this movie. Like, the way, especially with the camera, like, when you're entering the VR world, you know, it starts off in, like, a sort of first-person-ish perspective before, like, going behind the characters, the character will walk into frame eventually and you know it's and then you've got a um, couple other little interesting tricks and yeah what i'm getting at here is immersion is visually an interesting film um and that was one thing that i particularly really enjoyed about it and i know the person i talked to with it the day after also found it really interesting visually there are i i'm sure there's some interesting themes in the movie particularly with the um the old man shige character 
and his backstory, but I didn't quite get the themes of the movie um, and some of the symbolism of it. Uh, but that probably also comes from me, like not being familiar with the cultural background behind it as well. Right. It's like a part of me, a part of me does want to watch the movie again to try and, you know, put all the pieces together. Um, but in terms of actually recommending it, I'm like, if you've seen some, if you've seen like a fair few J horrors and you're curious, then check it out. But it's not something I'd give like a glowing high recommendation. Um, and is a similar thing with, with forbidden play. I, I do think forbidden play is a bit better. It's, far easier to follow like i actually understood what happened in the movie and it does have some very effective scenes nakata is a very is 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 very good at doing horror <laughs> and while i don't think this is his best film by any means some that talent does still show through in a couple scenes of forbidden play gotcha so outside of these films that we've talked about, has there been any other movies you've seen in theaters, Rex? Well, um, I don't remember if I already named this, but I did see Ghost Book as well um, at the Japanese Yes, it goes under both titles. Out of the three films that I saw at this Japanese film fest, and yeah, I, I wanted to see more, but sadly I just couldn't because A money b some of the films i wanted to see were showing at the same time as the other ones um what was what else was there showing that you wanted to see but didn't? there was citizen kitano which is a documentary on beat takeshi there was this one like groundhog day-esque film i don't remember its name and there was one more I can't. It's on the. I don't. I don't remember what the third one was, but it it was showing like around the same ish time as. Um, oh, oh! It was, it was a man, a film called A Man, which stars uh, Sakura Ando. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to see that as well, but I didn't. Didn't have the time to. Um. But yeah, Ghost Book was, you know, directed by Takashi Yamazaki, uh, you know, and it's the film that, it's his most recent film prior to the release of Godzilla Minus One. <laughs> never heard of it. Yeah, never heard of it, you know, never. But yeah, it is probably the best film I saw this uh, during this uh, film fest weekend. <laughs> so, okay, what... So give us your review of that film. Oh, God. Um, Without spoilers. So, yeah, Ghost Book, it, it, it's, a, it's probably one of Yamazaki's more family-friendly movies. Like, with the main characters are all kids. Um, the yokai are all, like, fairly, like, it's it's a fairly kid friendly adventure story about 
a group of friends you know, being dragged into this mysterious world um, because of you know their wish to help one of their friends. I won't say why they're helping their friend though, um, <laughs> or what their okay. wish is, because that's a bit of a spoiler for the film. But um, yeah, no, it's it's just a really, really, really fun little adventure film. All the kid actors are solid. They're funny, enjoyable. You know, the teacher as well, who's the one adult in the movie outside of, um, well, one adult that gets prominent screen time, um, is pretty solid. Ryunosuke Kamiki, who's the lead actor of Godzilla Minus One, is in it. He's not in very much of the movie, but for what little he's in, he's pretty fun. And yeah, no, I just had a really fun time with it. Kaiju fans might get a little bit of joy out of near the end. There is not a kaiju, but a rather large dragon-like yokai. A yokai? Yes. Love it. Love it. And yeah, it, it was a really fun, really fun movie that kind of, in the way the story was presented, it kind of reminded me of of the first film we actually covered for Yamazaki month, Takashi Yamazaki's Returner, and how the story was structured, it kind of reminded me of that film. Because mm-hmm. of like, you know how in Returner, it was always like, the script was very deliberately paced in how it approached giving you the information of the world it was in? Yes. Yeah, that that is some that is very much how Ghost Book is, with like slowly sort of introducing and peeling back the layers mm-hmm. of like everything around you, and it 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 really works. Honestly, it really works here. <laughs> okay, and, and you, you know, by the end, I was pretty in, I was pretty invested in the film and the characters. Okay, so that. Man, I I wish I could see Yokaipedia. It's really good. It, it it is really good. I really had a really good time with it, and it's really funny too. <laughs> Intentionally funny or uh, intentionally okay. funny? Like I'm saying, the comedy is actually good. Good. Okay, that's that gives me a little bit of hope. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like genuinely, if, say- if there's any film I'd recommend out of the bunch that I saw for people to go check out it's yokaipedia like i would genuinely really recommend that one okay so hopefully one day (laughs) one day that'll be available to watch yeah well hey just go looking for film fests or go on japan airlines i guess because it you can watch it on there with english subtitles (laughs) well see i've looked through literally Every film fest within two states that I could drive to or be willing would be willing to drive to. And none of them are showing Japanese horror or science fiction films, period, or fantasy. That's a shame. It is. It sucks. (laughs) But I did get to watch a movie that was horror. Oh, really now? Yes. Now, unless you have anything else, you want to... 
No, I still haven't oh. seen a single. I haven't watched a singular oh. Saw film. I don't know if I ever will either. Oh, you're you're lame. You're actually so. No, lame. I just don't do stab. And it's a little more than just stab, buddy. Well, I I don't do stab. And it's a little little more than stab. <laughs> but I did get to see the hit film. Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> Damn. I uh, I may have seen that as well, admittedly. So, we we have something in common. Should we uh, should we have a little little Five Nights at Freddy's conversation? Kaiju conversation official Five Nights at Freddy's episode. This has now become. So before we get going, you and I both surprisingly are pretty well like. On the same level of knowing the Five Nights at Freddy's lore. Yeah, by that, he means he watches Markiplier. I used to watch, like, the Game Theory videos, like, years back. (laughs) Well, I watched the Game Theory videos, too. Oh, you watched those, too? Right. I watched the Game Theory stuff, and I watched Markiplier for hours on end. Right. And I played demos for Five Nights at Freddy's 1, 2, and 3. Oh, I've actually played 1, 2, and 3. I've actually played them. So we're on par for knowing our FNAF lore. God, this is weird. This is so weird. (laughs) (laughs) So. FNAF is my favorite tokusatsu movie now. (laughs) I'm going to leave that alone. (laughs) So we got the announcement of a movie like back in 2014 or something. God, yeah, it would have been something. It'd be about 2015, probably. 2015. So like this has been like a legendary like development. Like they had directors and then they didn't. They had a script and then they didn't and nothing was moving. Right. And... Then eventually it started happening. Yeah. And truth be told, I didn't think it would actually fully occur. I thought it would get canceled like last minute. Yeah. And this time it's Blumhouse producing the film. Blumhouse with uh, Universal. Yeah. I want to say Universal themselves originally intended to be the ones like actually producing the film. I think so, but Blumhouse has been working a lot with Universal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most a lot of Blumhouse's films have been distributed by Universal, have they not? Yes, yes. And, and Blumhouse are, is in charge of rebooting the Universal monsters as well. They're oh wow! If I, if I remember right, they they oh, are did doing. Did they do Invisible Man? Yes. Oh, that's right, right, right. They did Invisible Man. They're doing Frankenstein, and they. Is that the Del Toro one? No, that's with oh. Netflix. Oh. So, with that being said, I feel like we should dive into this conversation about Five Nights at Freddy's. Okay. Where, where so, do you want to begin? Why don't we start with our concerns? I, I don't know. Maybe you don't have concerns, but I definitely had some concerns going in. Um, my concerns going in, 
I mean, I, I kind of went into this film because, like, it's the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. I'm going to watch this. Like, one way or another, I know I'm going to see this. I'm, I'm going to be peer pressured into seeing this one way or another. Um, it's only the largest gaming IP in the last 10 years. Yeah. I might have to re-say that so there's no drums. (laughs) It's only the largest gaming IP in the last 10 years. Right. Well, outside of Minecraft. But, yeah. (laughs) Um, God, I wonder what what that movie will be like with goddamn Laszlo from What We Do in the Shadows. (laughs) Is Steve Carell still attached to do... Uh, Play Steve? I think? Or maybe it's Jason Momoa now? Maybe? I don't know. All I know is Matt Berry's in it, and that is really funny. I I, I can't wait to hear him swearing in British. Anyway, so, I mean, you bring up a good point. Like, no matter what, I feel, I mean, for me, even though I am a fan I I don't know I'd like I don't know if I would classify myself as a fan but I'm I've been introduced no you're familiar I'm knowledgeable of the IP mm-hmm. like I wouldn't I would not say that I'm a fan because there's people who know way more than me I was sitting next to people who were like pointing out the Easter eggs on screen. And I was like, oh, that's right. Like, I it, I couldn't tell what it was until it was pointed out to me. But once it was pointed out, I was like, oh, I know what I'm looking at. Yeah. I mean, I like, picked I'm... up on a fair few, I think, I remember from the movie. There were a couple things in the background, like, oh, that text, it says a, a, a quote from the game and all that. Right. And then should we do spoilers? Uh, I guess, yeah. Spoiler alert. Yes, yeah, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Official Five Nights at Freddy's Kaiju Conversation episode. Yeah, we're going to cut this section out. This will be its own bonus. (laughs) Um, So, okay, if we're we're talking about Easter eggs, probably my favorite one, and then I want to hear your favorite one, was the inclusion of Baby, the the animatronic from Sister Location. Right. Who in the game was Vanessa Afton. Oh. oh um, if I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, Vanessa Afton was Baby from Sister Location, the sixth game, and the last of that continuity, to my understanding? I wouldn't know. C- after Sister Location, that's where I, f- I compl- like, after that point, I know basically nothing. Right. <laughs> I know there's like, Five nights at Freddy's. All I know afterwards is white woman jump scare, and that's about it. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. I just know (laughs) it's Vanessa. (laughs) Oh, gotcha. So, like, because I know there was like the Five Nights at Freddy's mobile game, Five Nights at Freddy's World, but I know nothing about that. I don't know. Like, I I don't even know. That one was before Sister Location, right? But, like, I know nothing of it. And then you had Ult, 
wasn't there like just Five Nights at Freddy's Ultimate Night, which was like there was that. There's been like those new security breach games and that VR one, and there was something else. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I, don't I know security breach. There's like a bunch of books now that like all contradict each other. Like every new book has like a new retcon or something. It's convoluted. Yeah. So for me, as as somebody who's acquainted with the IP, I only got stuff from Five Nights at Freddy's 1, 2, 3, 4, and Sister Location. What was 5? Right. Was 5 I mean, Sister years Location? Sister Location, yeah. Okay. okay. I don't even remember there being any references to 4, if I'm going to be honest. I saw one for 4. What one? Um. So when... So the reference to number four, which number four takes place in the, the child's house. Yeah, I know that. The whole sequence where is that golden Freddy? Right. That that was golden Freddy. It felt like a reference to Ford, the way she like opened the door and peered out. To me, it was like I, I oh. feel like that's a bit of a stretch. I disagree. I feel, <laughs> I, like, I feel like that's a stretch. Like even the sound of of the animatronic moving around in the house in Five Nights at Freddy's Four was in that scene. I don't know. I I feel like that's a bit of a stretch. I felt the movie. Bing was bong, really, you're wrong. Shut up. The, the movie was kind of just um, mostly taking from the. It was mostly taken from the first game, but there were obviously references to FNAF 2, especially FNAF 3 near the ending. Um. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, the ending has, you know, spring trap. You already gave spoilers. That's we, so we... true. That's so true. Spring trap, you know. Wait, was, but wasn't spring trap in the cutscene games? What for FNAF one? No, no. Okay, so okay, he wasn't introduced so till number three. Okay, I couldn't remember. He, he's not introduced till number three. The cutscenes aren't even in the first game. Oh, okay. It's been forever since I've like <laughs> watched any of it, so I'm a little same here, brother. Uh, do you think <laughs> I watched anything in preparation for this? No. I'd... I got that law stuck in my head for the rest of my life, and I can never well, get rid of it. <laughs> I'll tell you this though: the so Matthew Lillard plays a s- hidden William Afton. <laughs> he was announced as William Afton, and then they like hit it. Yeah, I don't know why they did that. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's a Lil- it's Matthew Lillard himself who announced that he was William Afton. maybe first of all matthew lillard is such a charismatic and engaging actor that no matter what role and no matter how much screen time he has he is great at it he he is definitely the the highlight of the film even though he's barely in it he is he's he's pretty entertaining he's got really good screen, screen presence in the film and I loved how, like, watching, so at the very end, you know, Willie Mafton gets stuck in the spring trap suit and starts 
and then the spring locks start to lock him in, right? Yeah. And the motion... (laughs) Right, it was obvious it would do that when they brought up the spring locks earlier in the movie. Yeah. But when they started locking him in the suit, the motions were so accurate to the cutscene... I was like, man, I, I like this. I can see the cutscene in my head now. Like, I was genuinely surprised how well that was. And, and I, I jokingly said this in a, we were in a phone call. I jokingly said this. But when it was said in the theater, I was like about to cheer. Oh. When Matthew Lillard says, I always come back. I'm gonna be honest. I thought that was. I thought that was real. Uh, I thought that was a really cringy line. I loved it. Like, ah, it was, uh, it was in the film. <laughs> it was hilarious and it was great. It, I it just wish he would just alongside. But that's just a theory. Mm, we'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, um. But I, I see, I don't know. There's something about that line. Maybe it's Matt Pat's videos where he has like consistently been like, I always come back and like just constantly says that line. But for me, it's like I can see like the burning Five Nights at Freddy's room with spring traps like shadow in the background. And then suddenly you hear the voice line of, I always come back. <laughs> so like i don't know it's just iconic for me and the fact that they 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 did in fact put that in there uh-huh. even though it doesn't make the most sense it it's such an awkwardly thrown in line <laughs> well because if i if i'm understanding correctly five nights at freddy's three takes place in the future of when it came out. I think it's actually about to be the present time for whenever it's I supposed to remember. I don't remember. But in the game, the cutscenes take place in the 80s. Or like it's it's like flashbacks. Because in the actual game, Afton has already been murdered. Killed into Springtrap? Yeah. He's he's already been turned into the Springtrap animatronic. So it makes sense that if he was already killed and became Springtrap and they tried to kill Springtrap, he would say, I always come back. Now, in this case, Afton has not died yet. And the fact that he puts on the mask and says I always come back is like "Mm, what it just it didn't it didn't make the most sense that's because it's cheap fan service yeah this is true (laughs) but hey that's just a theory a game theory so we had Basically, we only had one cameo. Two. That well, there was a second cameo, but I don't know who he is, so I'm not going to talk about him. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Corey Kenshin. Cool, they got him in the movie, but I'm not familiar with him. <laughs> but yeah, Matt Pat was uh, was there for one scene. 
Which, I mean, in all fairness, that's about as much as I would have expected him to be in it. Right. He he does, in fact, say that that's that's just a theory. And yeah, it's it's kind of fun to see to see him in the movie, but it, it was a, it was a little funny, but it's also again a little forced in there. <laughs> right. I I wouldn't. You can tell that they were like, you need to say the line like that. I would almost say they may have not given him a script and might have just said, you got to come up with something to say, but hey, that's just a theory. Mm. Um, no, they probably just wrote it on the spot. I'm going to be honest. Probably. I Or they probably had variations and had him do like 30 takes with variations of the same line just to have it and see what worked because truth be told i don't even remember what he's talking about outside of it's something about like uh you you guys should have breakfast because it like makes you more productive or something but that's just a theory right and then he walks away food or get them right right so yeah i will i will agree that was like okay cool it's great to see him i got excited to see him but i was like okay moving on (laughs) um but there was one cameo or character that i wanted in the movie that just didn't get put in because of scheduling conflicts Mm -hmm. and i will forever be upset until the sequel. Because, because Markiplier is the king of Five Nights at Freddy's. And the fact that they didn't get Markiplier, even for a brief cameo, like not even, maybe there's a picture of him up on the wall. I don't know. There is a scene where they have different employees, and that would have been perfect to use as where Markiplier could be at as like employee of the month. But oh, they could have had him as the empl- as the employee of the month in nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> like just something employee that nineteen eighty-seven. So I don't know. I just I will I will say I understand the problems with um scheduling and, and, and stuff like that. But like it's Markiplier. Like, he made Five Nights at Freddy's popular. He single-handedly did that with his first episode on the game. That he he played the demo. Like, he didn't even play the full game. He just played the demo. And, like, that video is, like, one of his largest, vid- like, most viewed videos he's ever done. hmm So... I mean, hey, this film seems to be doing quite well at the box office, so I'm pretty sure when Five Nights at Freddy's 2, the movie, comes out, I'm I'm sure he will appear in it. Probably. Like, I would be shocked if he didn't. So, you know, before we talk about the sequel, I did want to bring up Jen Henson, Jim Henson's 
amazing animatronics. Oh yeah. <laughs> the the film's VFX and special effects look amazing. Yeah, and the production design as well is really good for like the actual pizzeria. It's very faithful to particularly that first game. Like even the mm-hmm. layout of it is it's not one to one the same, but it's pretty right. close to the original map. Right. No, like the anytime Foxy would appear and run after people trying to get out that exit door. I could tell where he was from, like where they were at. They were on the left corridor. Like it was like, oh, I do know where this is at. And like the fact that they had Foxy run through that hallway it was like, this is this is right. Like this is accurate. Right. And yeah. even just like the location of where like Foxy's uh uh like Pirate Cove is in relation to like the main stage, that's pretty accurate to the first game, you know? Right. And like the the actual setup of the of the office itself, I loved the multiple, you know, CTVs and I love the little like You've got the poster from the first game as well. You've got the poster and like the little joystick like setup they have to like look through all the cameras. I was like, I love that. That's a nice little detail. Mm-hmm. And I loved exploring because there are a few places in it that are new. Mm. Um, at least I think I they might be implied they exist in the game, but they don't show those places. Mm-hmm. I mean, they actually show the kitchen in this, whereas in the games, it's just like audio only, a black screen. Yeah, right. So, no, the because they actually built the pizzeria. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, when when they had the, like, production images of, like, people showing off that they were building the actual Freddy Fazbear's pizza, I could kind of tell we were in for something special. Mm-hmm. And then when we found out Jim Henson's company was making actual animatronics to be in the movie itself. Mm-hmm. That Which are very really... faithfully designed as well. Yes. I don't mind the eyes. I feel like the eyes being red makes sense. Eh, the red eyes are kind of dumb, but then the the red eyes themselves aren't really used much in the movie anyways. Right. So, like, I, I mean, I thought that all I of mean, them... I that's also were... because the animatronics don't really do a whole lot of... There isn't really a whole lot of horror in this horror movie anyways. Um... Right, which I know it sounds like that's something a lot of people are having problems with for this film is the fact that it's more fun. Does that make sense? The issue is the issue is that you know your animatronics are your supposed to be your primary primary antagonist for most of the movie up until you know springtrap shows up but they're not very threatening for most of the movie i i get that the main audience for this is children 
So you don't want the animatronics to be too scary. But at the same time, for me, they barely even register as a threat for a good chunk of the movie. Right, because... Outside of two scenes. Right, which is, from my understanding, it's the final, where they're, like, closing in on Abby. And the when when the people are breaking in to like mess with everything, so Mike loses his job. Right, and it's and it's pretty it's pretty obvious that scene exists solely for the body count. <laughs> right, because I mean, well, it seems so. We don't even see them like kill people in the games. So I don't fault them for that. I'm not faulting the issue for not the movie for not being gory. I knew what I was going into. If anything, what little there was surprised me that they were even willing to show anything. It's just the thing I take issue with is not that there's not many kills. The issue is that the anim- there's not really much of like trying to actually fend off from the animatronics and survive the five nights. I mean, Mike spends like three or four of the nights sleeping anyways. Right. Now, in all fairness, things really don't start getting too crazy until night three. No, but even then, the animatronics don't really attack him until either night four or five. Right. Yeah, he gets attacked like like at the end of night four, I think, and then like night five is your climax. Right. So, well, let me ask you this then: How are you supposed to do? Because I'm going to be honest, Five Nights at Freddy's has never been a scary game for me, outside of the jump scares. Because jump scares are designed to be scary because they jump, right? Like, it's it's a quick, like, boom, reflex. Ah! It's not meant to actually be scary. And the issue with Five Nights at Freddy's is that there is no underlying fear of dread. Oh, no, they're going to come for me. Eventually, the games become strategy games. They're not horror games as much as it's strategy. Um, I when I say that, I automatically think of every hour on the hour, every hour on the hour, every hour on the hour, every hour on the hour. Which that's in reference to Ultimate Custom Nights, where when you put I don't remember who it is, um, but there there was a later five nights of freddy's character where every hour you would have to like reset something so that you didn't get them out it wasn't it wasn't the marionette but the marionette's another example of this where you had to strategize okay i've got two doors and i've got the lights for those doors i have the lights on the cameras and i have this magical music box or I have this thing that every hour on the hour I have to do to make it work. And eventually the fe- that fear, which maybe they say this in the movie or maybe it's another movie recently that 
I heard this in, but the fear turns into that survival instinct. Like you're just trying to do what you can to survive more so than sounds like something that would be said in soul. (laughs) Actually, I think it might've been in, was it another? It was either another or maybe it was premonition. I don't know. But it was it was something along the lines of that fear turns into a fight and you fight to survive, right? I mean, and, here's the thing with that argument you're making, though. You're talking about a horror game. This is not a game. This is a movie. It's a, but it's a movie adaptation of a game. And the movie is more accurate and more closer to the game because instead of going full-fledged, we're going to make this a horror movie that, like, you have this underlying dread of, oh, no, I'm going to be murdered. Instead, it fills that, which could be considered very boring for, you know, your animatronics, which everybody's already acquainted to, and they're not really serial killers. Like the the Five Nights at Freddy's characters are not murderers. The 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 horror element for the game comes from the concepts of how the the animatronics were made and what they will do to you. Right, but in like, the moment, at the same time, the horror does also there is. The most glaring horror of Five Nights at Freddy's is just surviving those five nights. Um, right. You know, you're one, you're one man by yourself in this building, limited power, um, limited resources, you, and you just have to survive these, these uh, animatronics that are hulking over you, essentially, um, cowering over you. Which we've already seen. We, right, we've we've already the, we've seen it in the games, sure, but not on the big, not on the big screen in a Five Nights at Freddy's movie before. Yeah, it's the but first the idea Five Nights at Freddy's I, movie, right? But the idea of okay, we have a limp, we have this time frame that we have to do this in and survive it has been done before. Sure. But like, so I, don't really I feel see like why they sh- shouldn't have done that. I mean, like, well, I feel like that would have been a rather boring movie having one person alone. Like, I don't expect the whole movie to just be him alone surviving the night. I'm not asking for that. Plus, I feel like then your argument would, because I mean, this argument's been made for the games. If you like, why would you stay there? Wouldn't you just say I quit and walk out? I mean, the movie gave a pretty reasonable explanation as to why he doesn't quit. <laughs> you know, given but, his whole family situation. But he wouldn't have gone back for that fifth night. The way it, it kind of, at least, it seemed like they were implying that. Be surprised. Because he was running, like, he went in and then was gone. Like, in theory, he wouldn't have went back. The only reason he went back was because of Abby. 
I mean, he also kept coming back because he kept because he kept wanting to get that dream. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, but he also got that with what Vanessa told him. So in theory, all the answer, all, all the questions he had were answered. So if it wasn't for Abby, he wouldn't have went back. I don't know. I think either way, like regardless of whether or not the movie should have had more of that surviving the night aspect, which I think it should have. Um, the fact of the matter is I don't think the movie really does that good of a job portraying the animatronics as, you know, the antagonists. I, I, the movie kind of, kind of makes them too lovable at a certain point particularly like in the middle of like the second act. See, I I definitely see what you're saying, but I feel like there's a method to that, which is actually a very interesting approach to it, which is when you watch the film, Abby views them as protagonists and her friends. Whereas Mike views them as the threat, as the antagonist. And as Abby becomes more relevant in the story, so does that concept of them being these kind characters for kids, which they were initially designed and created to be. Mm -hmm. So in a way, you get to see two different sides of the narrative from two different characters, which I think is actually a really cool idea. That's an interesting concept. Now, it does, it's very tonal difference from beginning to the middle. And even at the end, but at the end, we have Mike coming to the, the conclusion, to the assumption, to the same side. I don't know what you would word that as. But coming to the same conclusion that maybe they weren't so bad. Now, I, I, I mean, I feel like at the end they definitely still played them as antagonists because they were going to stuff Abby into the baby suit. The only reason they stopped is they started going after the person that killed them. But something tells me that doesn't necessarily mean that they would be nice something tells me they would still kill anybody who comes into that building right yeah i i just i just think it could have used more of having them be like an actual tangible threat in the movie mm -hmm. i mean freddy himself barely really does anything foxy's right. like foxy and the the goddamn cupcake are about, like, the only ones I really remember actually doing all that much. Bonnie seemed to be the one out of the three on stage. I will agree that I've... But <sighs> Freddy also was, like, the end-all, be-all. Like, when your power went out, he's the one that would show up nine times out of ten. Like, he was like, oh boy, here we go. Freddy's here. 
but I do think we missed out on the opportunity of the power going out and Freddy's eyes lighting up. Yeah. And like the music playing. Cause that's, that's a freaky moment, right? Like there's no way you can not see that as freaky. Right. So I definitely do agree that Freddy seemed to be under utilized. Golden Freddy is just there for one scene. Yeah. <laughs> which I don't entirely understand the Golden Freddy. He's just there. He was but, like, the is he an actual animatronic? Uh, probably. He, he did have weight. But also, I, I don't know. It's just, the Golden Freddy aspect was weird. Mm-hmm. And we never really got a conclusion on why Golden Freddy was there. Right. He was kind of just, he kind of just picked up Abby, killed, uh, the aunt and that was it did the aunt actually die is that confirmed yes okay yes (laughs) well in all fairness maybe you know you believe golden freddy's story of oh she's just sleeping maybe i don't know she died that that was the implication she died okay but she was also a bad person so either way it doesn't matter oh okay so it's justified because she's Okay. She was played off as an antagonist, in all fairness. This is true. <laughs> okay, and that actually that's that's a good segue into the human characters. Oh my god, this is like a kaiju movie. We're talking about the animatronics and the human characters. Mike is okay. Uh his, his sister I, I keep wanting to say his daughter, but it's actually his sister. She's alright. Vanessa is just exposition dump. <laughs> and it's probably No, she's just plot convenience plot device. Yeah. I don't think Afton really I don't think the writing around him works in the movie, but Matthew Lillard is fun, so I give him a thumbs up, I guess. Afton's Afton character Afton's character works because of who they got to play the role. Yeah. It's down Matthew, to the performance and not the script there. Yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting because so Mike's last name is Schmidt. And I love the fact that Matthew Lillard saw like in the scripts, like it was written that Afton saw that and stopped himself from saying the last name because in the in the lore, Schmidt worked with Afton on the development of the animatronics in the spring trap setup. The so I mean, in this movie the reason he he stopped was because um he killed Mike's brother. But I think they left it kind of uh like they didn't say that though. Yes they and did. I think yes they did. That he what, didn't what? say his last name because he knew that he killed I mean, late at the end of the movie, when he's in the spring trap suit, he's literally like, first I killed your brother, now I get to kill you? That's what I call symmetry. <laughs> that was a pretty bad line. <laughs> That's what I call symmetry? Something like that, yeah. No, no, it, it is symmetry. Like, yeah, I know. I know the wor- exact word is symmetry that he uses. 
Now that's what I call symmetry. I'm going to use that tomorrow at work. <laughs> it's it's such a bad line, but it's so funny. I love Matthew Lillard. No, but I I thought this is kind of how I interpreted it. He knew that he killed his brother, but he also recognized the last name because he worked with Schmidt. I mean, the film does not establish that, so. Right, the film doesn't establish it, but they do leave it kind of open to be used. The film I mean, leaves a lot the to film be open. Doesn't... One thing I appreciate is that although the film does cover a, a decent bit of the lore, it does also, it doesn't go and just talk about everything. Right. It doesn't adapt everything. You know, it's it's a fairly simplified version of the law. Hey, there's this like child killer that was killing these kids at Freddy's. The kids are like stuffed in the thing. There, you've got the spring lock suit and you've got spring trap and golden Freddy. You know, right? And I feel I feel like everyone like I I don't think they could have really done this movie without spring trap just because of like the expectations of oh you got to have the purple guy in the movie gotta have him right and i will say this i did feel like they didn't do the purple guy aspect really which no, not really he's lillard's barely even in the film up until like he's in about like a couple minutes at the beginning and then last like 10 minutes of the movie right see i would love to see a prequel to five nights at freddy's that took place during the killings let Matthew Lillard be Matthew Lillard. When are we getting the bite of 87? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's where Mark's cameo should be. He should talk about the bite of 87. Like he was the old security guard back when Afton like ran the place. <laughs> yeah. So I guess this is a good spot to kind of talk about the Lawrence story kind of together. I do agree with you that I liked I liked how they didn't like you can be acquainted with the franchise or be a fan and see the where they adapted from. Right. But there's also not too much to overwhelm the general audience. Correct. And the film does have a decent emotional anchor for the general audiences with Mike and his sister's uh, like family drama. I feel like that is one of the stronger aspects of the script. It's not great, but it's one of the stronger aspects of the script. Right. And I still like, I'll be honest, the whole dream thing did feel a little obnoxious. That, that takes up too much of the movie. Yeah. Especially because it's like, that reoccurs more than it should. Right. They also have two fake-out jump scares with a little toy. Of Three Balloon Boy. the mid-credits scene. Yeah. Good old Balloon Boy. It's so dumb. <laughs> and I was genuinely, surpri- genuinely surprised by the lack of the marionettes. I, I wasn't terribly surprised by that. But didn't they, they played, was it the marionettes or was it Purple Guy's sound bites at the end of the credits? 
I'm assuming it's like the puppet. I'm assuming it's the puppet's like, come find me or whatever it is. Um, huh? What the the like the thing at the end credits? Yeah, when it's like about to be over and the sounds. Yeah, the are come find me. C O N E. Is that what that is? Yeah, because it's it's spelling out "come find me" or something like that. Come help me or something. Really? Yes. Huh. God, you're an idiot. I swear to God. That's uncalled for. Is it wrong though? Yes, it's wrong. What did you think of the film overall? Overall? Yeah. Hmm. See. I had a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it had some great visuals. I enjoyed like the lighting in the movies actually really good overall. The, so the five nights at Freddy's movie does exactly what it sets out to do, which is introduce the five nights at Freddy's franchise to a larger audience while also keeping very true to its roots and not letting the fans down. The movie was obviously made and written to be a true, honorable Five Nights at Freddy's adaptation. It helps that Scott worked on the film. He was he helped with the screenplay and the story. He was a producer, and then Jason Blum seems to know what he's doing as a producer. So with those aspects, the film definitely was set to have a good adaptation. The film is a good adaptation. I think it works. I think it the changes changes it does to the story is there for a reason. The mystery aspect of the film could be removed or you know taken out a little bit, and you could include more of the Five Nights at Freddy's typical tropes, you know locking the door like we never once saw the door to be locked yeah that was something that i felt could have been like he shut the door he locked it he sat down he started working on stuff and then you know he heard banging on the door and like looked out the window and it was an animatronic like there's there could have been moments like that to add that sense of fear that you previously mentioned were lacking. I don't think the film should have been a oh my god, I'm going to die. They're coming for me trope that you find in typical horror movies from America and whatnot. You know, that fear of oh, the monster's coming, what do I do? The fact that there was a mystery and whatnot. I think was great. I think they could have added more to the there's their kids shoved in animatronics because they they kind of just say it and move on. Yeah, All Mike is considered. very accepting of everything that's happening around. It's like, oh so yeah, I, you should have just told me about those ghost kids, Vanessa. So it's one of those things where it's like I. I would give this movie a three out of five. Like if we're doing a rating, which we don't do ratings on this show, mm-hmm. but if, if, if we're going to do a rating, I would give it a three out of five. I think it's entertaining, which all automatically gives it two stars. If you're at least entertaining 
that achieves the idea of entertainment. Congratulations. You have your basic concept figured out. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good enough for fans and people who are acquainted with the franchise to enjoy it and to appreciate what they're seeing. But the story does have a lot to be desired, and it does feel like there's a lot they could have elaborated on or cut and add more to the lore or add more to our character development. Instead of watching this one character, Mike, gradually try to find his answer, maybe they could pull more of a ring with you know how you had your two characters searching endless endlessly like a ticking time clock they had seven days to figure it out in a way maybe they could do that but with mike having limited time maybe something helps him get to the point of i'm going to freddy fazbear's the fact that i mean it's it is the magic of the movie the idea of oh this character just so happens to be at this place at this time for this to happen. And this lines up with this and that creates this. And we have a chain of react a chain reaction that follows through and everything just so happens to make sense. Like that is the magic of the movie, but perhaps you could do something differently. Perhaps you could do something that doesn't, require everything to be at this place at this time at this exact moment for this to happen to create a chain reaction to create this and it all line up perhaps mike wanted this job because they were at freddy's before or something something to link it and not make it a coincidence i would love for that i would have loved to see a more interesting take on the horror and on the mystery aspect. I think both of those do lack in this, but at the base level of five nights of Freddy's, which this movie does try to just give you the base level. So you can understand what you're watching at the base level. What five nights of Freddy's is, is a bunch of cheap jump scares that get people because they're focused and trying to survive. And when they die, it shocks them. Mm hmm. And I wouldn't, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I jumped once or twice. Because that's what jump scares are for. It's to catch you off guard and boom. Oh, okay, we're done. So, I mean, I liked it. I liked it. I enjoyed it. But there definitely does, there's a lot to be worked on. Yeah, for me, I'm very, I, I was very mixed on the film. Like, for me... My letterbox rating for it is like just five out of ten because like it's it's entertaining. Like it it was an entertaining film to watch, but I just feel like the script is a complete and utter mess. You know, the tension is not there. The animatronics don't really work as villains, and and. Matthew and Purple Guy only kind of works because of Matthew Lillard. I don't think the script that he's actually given really works. It's Lillard's performance that is doing all the heavy lifting there. And I kind of feel like it, it also just kind of, it's, it's a little tropey as well for a horror movie. Like if it didn't have the five nights of at Freddy's branding, I feel like it'd be a pretty generic movie. 
Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Like, and I do think that's something the film does find a way to do is make it not generic. Cause like it definitely has problems that would make it fall into a generic horror movie very easily, but it does find a way to bring the five nights at Freddy's inertia. Is that a word? Yeah. It's the inertia. The Five Nights at Freddy's inertia. It <laughs> brings that to it. Because I think you and I can both at least agree on the fact that it is undoubtedly a Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Yes. I did, in fact, see the animatronics on the screen. And it did feel like, like, it, it felt like five. It looked, it felt like them. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of things they could do differently to make it better, right? They could have, like, actually had Freddy do do his thing. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, if we were to convert your rating into the five-star thing, you'd be at a 2.5. If you were to convert my rating, it'd be a 6 out of 10. So it sounds like we kind I mean, it sounds like I have a little bit more of the the fanboyism or the appreciation for that than you do, which is interesting because I feel like normally it's switched. Normally I'm the pretentious one who doesn't care about fan service or anything. And you're the, I mean, I typically don't really care too much for fan service. Like it, it can be fun, but like, Fan service doesn't really substitute for a good script, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I can understand that. So before we wrap up this and we, we move on to the final section of this the recap. Song was, the song was nice, though, at the end. Still it don't know nice. what it was. I, God, like, you're an awful person. <laughs> Such a horrible person. I know, it's almost like I killed children in the 80s and stuffed them into animatronic suits. God damn it! (laughs) Hey, you threw that out there and I had to bite right into it. But with that, we're going to transition here into, we've already talked about what theatrical films we've seen. And uh, we've, I've briefly mentioned some stuff I've watched, but... Mm -hmm. This is basically going to be what we typically do on our episodes where we're like, hey, Rex, what have you watched this week? Except it's going to be for the whole month. <laughs> um, so we'll each tell we'll we'll each list off what we've watched. And then we're going to at least for me, I'm going to pick three to talk about because I've watched a lot. And then we'll talk about what TV we've watched and short films after that. Right. So. Rex, why don't you start us off by telling what tokusatsu, J-horror, and go for it, horror that you've seen this this month? Well, um, yeah, outside of the theaters, uh, I started this month in J-horror with uh, the film Don't Look Up or Joyude by Hideo Nakata. Following that, I watched um, Takashi Yamazaki's The Fighter Pilot, I rewatched both Godzilla vs. Megalon for its 50th anniversary, and because of a recent announcement, I decided to watch the rewatch the Gato Goldstorm Show movie. Following that, um, 
just a few days ago, I watched Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer, and with you, I watched Premonition. Yeah, that's so that's actually the first time we've ever watched a movie together. We watched 2014 together. Did we? Yes. When did we do this? For that episode, the seventh anniversary special or whatever it was called. We watched it together? Yes. Huh. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Well, I didn't know that, apparently. (laughs) Bro doesn't know anything about his own podcast. (laughs) <laughs> have you seen anything else this, this month uh, uh, not that I don't think I've haven't already mentioned okay so are we ready are you are batting down yes. the hatches okay. yeah okay so for my list of Japanese tokusatsu kaijun j-horror films I've watched this month we start off the month with Pinocchio 964 Battlefield Baseball, Undertaker, Jikoku, The Inferno. Be prepared, Sadako, this is a long list. 3D, Death Note, Light Up the New World, Vampire Girl vs. Frankenstein Girl, Carved, The Slip-Mouthed Woman, Love Ghost, The Happiness of the Kata- Katakuris, mm-hmm. Re- yeah. Dead Ball, Creepy Crawly, Entrails of a Beautiful Woman, Parasite Eve, Katakawa Horror Theater Legends, Dead or Alive Final, Kuroneko, Tokyo Living Dead Idol, Curse of the Dog God, Venus Ranger, Zombie Hunter Rika, Shock Labyrinth 3D, Premonition, The Sylvian Experiments, Another, and most recently, EM Embalming. So, it sounds like you have a lot less than I do to talk about. Yes. Pick, what, what's your top three? Uh, top three most interesting would probably, not necessarily the best, but the most interesting ones to talk about would probably be um, Joyure, Takashi Yamazaki's Eternal Zero, and I guess Gato Goldstorm Show. So, okay. My three are Creepy Crawly, and Trails of a Beautiful Woman, and uh, Zombie Hunter Rika. So we'll talk about one of yours, then we'll talk about one of mine, and then we'll go back and forth, okay? Okay. And then we'll we'll talk about what TV or short films we've watched, and then we'll be done. So which one do you want to start off with? Well, I uh, may as well start off with Joyude. Yeah. It's, it, it very much feels like a precursor to Ring. I'm... I shouldn't be surprised, but it very much does feel like that. It's, it's it's pretty solid. It's 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 a pretty fun, you know, little early no- or mid nineties. Sorry, J horror film. Its biggest issue is that it's too short, at mm-hmm. not even eighty minutes long. It feels like there was it. it, it the film script doesn't really wrap up everything. Um, particularly involving its ghost, doesn't really wrap up the story with that. As it, it, it just felt like it needed more. Is what I'm trying to get at here. Gotcha. Mm. But I, it, it's it's fun overall. I can you can definitely see 
the seeds of ring, if you will. Uh, right. Coming through in the film. Okay. It even has a, one or two of the cast members. From That's ring. true. That's true. Did you have anything else you wanted to say uh, briefly about? Off the top of my head, no. Okay. Um, so my first one, Creepy Crawly, also known as The 100, is a Thai monster horror movie about centipedes that, uh, well, a centipede that finds a way to... Is it a human centipede? No. Oh, disappointing. It's a centipede that can turn in, that can absorb itself into the body of a human and control itself. Oh. So maybe it is a human centipede. In a I don't know. Term. The movie is so confusing. So like the centipede is not like a normal centipede. It's like a special centipede that has lived for hundreds of years because it finds a way to like enter a host's body and take over its cerebral cortex, but also not like go inside of the human, but like like morph its body into the body of a human. And then that person becomes the centipede until it's out of it, the human. And then it's just a normal right, ugly centipede. Naturally. Of course. Yes. <laughs> and it all takes place within a hotel. And there's a bunch of tiny centipedes that like kill people. And the villains, the guy who owns the hotel because he doesn't want his hotel getting bad reviews. Damn. <laughs> I it was such a weird movie. Like it the lake is way better. I still need to see the beast below before I can like officially rank them and then I still have to see Garuda. But no, the 100 was awful. The only thing good about the 100 was it had some nice lighting at points. Damn. I see. Well, uh the next film I was going to highlight was Eternal Zero which you know, being set, being Yamazaki's other uh, World War Two set, yeah, World War Two set um, Japanese film that he's done, or at least one of the other ones. It it definitely, in a way, feels like a precursor to minus one, <laughs> and it was unsurprisingly really a really good story. Not the like pro-war imperialist propaganda that a lot of people think it is. See, a lot of people sell it that way. A lot of people sell it that way, but it really is not that. That That's... I can see some of where you would get that vibe from it, but I don't think the film ever intends for... It, it never really intends for you to, to actually think yeah war is good or that the japanese army was good i mean the movie you know it's about a kamikaze pilot and the movie outright criticizes that the main character's like existence and reputation is because he opposed that you know system he was in direct opposition of that so is it kind of set up like the great war of our committees um, sort of, yeah, and how, like, uh, what's his name, Kai was, like, very anti-war, um, in that film. Okay. Um, 
but yeah, it's it, it's a great film. Yeah, it's it's long, but it's 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 an interesting story. Um, Miyabe, I want to say the main character is you know, a tragic hero, and um, yeah, it should. I I found it quite interesting to watch. I, I I'm I'm struggling for things to say because it's been uh all it's been like a month since I saw it now at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I do I would love to cover it on the show, eventually. Um, that's one I'd love to cover, and then of course Ghost Book is another one. Um, Eternal Zero would be obviously a bonus episode since it's not technically kaiju or tokusatsu by our definitions. Ghost so, Book has the advantage of at least having a yield. Right, that, that counts as kaiju and tokusatsu. But Eternal Zero, we would, I mean, we would do what we did with Great War of Our Committees, and I'd love to do, like, ranking, a ranking of them as well. So maybe one day, maybe one day. Did you have anything I'm else you wanted ex- to add? I'm fully expecting minus one to have a tragic ending. By the way, of course. I mean, fully expecting that. I I don't see it having anything less than a at at its nicest a bittersweet ending. No, it's it's definitely going to be tragic. There's there's mm. no way it will not be. I mean, we know people cried. Yeah, that's true. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about Godzilla minus? Nope, not Godzilla minus one. Oh, is that it? You are. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about the Eternal Zero, or do you want to hear my brief thoughts on Entrails of a Beautiful Woman? It's a good movie, and Naoki Sato is good as always. His score in Ghost Book is also really nice. It reminded me of the always of his Always Sunset score. You know, I love the fact that so far your your picks have been very nice and not, you know awful or gross or dirty or grungy but i mean in, most in, movies i've watched this month have actually been at worst decent well i've watched some good movies and i've watched some awful movies um this one actually surprisingly was pretty okay for me i, I won't say it's good there's no way you'll get me to say this movie's good but it's okay i uh, i enjoyed it it's called entrails of a beautiful woman Directed by somebody by the name of Gyra, which, yes, that is meant to be. Gyra. It's, it's, he took that from War of the Gargantuas, and that was his stage name. Um, he made the movie Entrails of a Virgin, um, which is this movie about this porn film crew going and staying at this place. There's it's 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 a pink film. There's a lot of porn. There's a lot of sex. There's, you know, um, and then this then there's this monster. But in in Entrails of a Virgin, it's just a dude that's got mud all over him. Mm -hmm. And he has certain attributes that are very big Ah. that um, hurt people when he uses them. Entrails of a Beautiful Woman is nothing remotely like that. Um, Entrails of a Beautiful Woman is about uh, the Yakuza um, and drug dealing and human trafficking and a woman getting caught in the middle of that. And uh, she dies and 
Then her sister goes after her. She dies, but she comes back with a vengeance, and she has the ability to transform into this weird monster. And we actually get to see it. It's not just like a man painted in, in mud. It's like an actual like kind of monster. And it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting. I uh I actually enjoyed it. Um I had more fun with it than I did uh in Trails of a Virgin because that movie was just uncomfortable. But Beautiful Woman was actually kind of nice. Kazuo Komizu is the name of him. He goes by Gaira, by the way, if anybody ever wants to watch any of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um I I enjoyed it. He also was the guy who did Guzo. He did the screenplay for Guzo, The Thing Forsaken by God. Um, he may oh, and he was the director of that as well. So if you know Guzo, then it's the guy who did that, which that's a cool uh like mid 80s straight to video monster movie from japan so i had a lot of fun with it i enjoyed it um way more than i expected so i would i would definitely recommend it to to anyone who is remotely interested just if you're not if you're not into the whole pink films which pink films are uh uh porn if you're if you're not into the whole porn movie thing, then uh, you won't like it. I mean, it's okay since you're a big fan. Mm, I'm not. Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. We're not even. I mean, nope. with how many you have, I am not a fan. I've just watched more than five. You've just watched more than most people would ever consider watching. Because, you know, you watch them for the plot, right? I do. I hope there's a plot. I watch them for the plot and the special effects. Mm -hmm. The special effects, huh? Yes. Mm. Well, um, alrighty. And then I guess my last film. uh, You guess? Yes. You don't know? Hmm? You don't know? You guess? Sure, why not? You gotta know, bro. Well, I'm taking inspiration from you and my failures. But anyways, Gardo Goldstorm Show. It is probably, I previously have had the opinion that it is probably the best live-action Gara movie. And said opinion has remained intact because it is actually really fun. It's short but simple. Just like your opinion? Yes. It it's a fun and simple movie. It's most I, I'm gonna be honest, most like Toku movies that are like that are like attached to the shows, like most like modern Ultraman movies, especially most modern writer movies, outside of like Shin and the first, I guess, and the Showa Rider movies, most writer movies suck. Um <laughs> Most Gaara movies, unfortunately, aren't very good either. But this one is actually pretty, pretty, pretty fun, pretty solid, and and yeah, it's it's a fun. It, it was a fun reintroduction to Ryuga and Rian. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, 
I don't know anything about Garo. So. I look forward to the new show, Hagane Otsugimono, even though it's only going to be like 12 episodes. I see, I see. Well, my last film is going to be a movie called Zombie Hunter Rika, which this is, so you know, like Super Dimensional Odyssey Trita, Cat Girls, um, kind of those movies. I know nothing about them other than their existence, yes. So, and like, you, but you know that they're like low budget and they're pretty bad, right? Sure, yeah. So this is the same company who did those did this movie, but uh-huh. this one actually somehow had enough of a budget to be actually fun to watch. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. It's basically zombies take over Japan. There's a zombie hunter who dies. The arm of the zombie hunter gets put on this little like Japanese girl and she suddenly becomes a zombie hunter. Um, it's directed by Kenichi Fujiwara, who worked on the Iron Girl movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't really find anything else of, of decent note um, in my quick search through his stuff. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, the, the, the action was okay. It was actually entertaining. And, and I had fun with it. I enjoyed it a lot. So... <laughs> Yeah, I I was really happy to watch that. So, I don't I don't really have. I mean, it's only like sixty five minutes long. It's it's a very basic movie. Um, it had some comedic stuff that actually made me laugh. Some plot twists I was kind of surprised by, and yeah, I I liked it a lot. I did. Um, I'd say that's that might be my favorite or my second favorite that Switchblade Pictures has released. That one. And uh, Zombie Self-Defense Force both were actually pretty fun. I see. Which is odd because I've I've done with zombie movies, but those two actually were pretty good. <laughs> well, outside of that, uh, you said we'd be transitioning to TV shows, I believe. Yes. Hmm. Well, have you have you watched any? Um. For television, the only thing I watched is I watched the three... Is it Ultimate 80? No. Oh. I'm still stuck on 80. God damn it. But I did watch the three miniseries for Scary True Stories. Scary True Stories, Scary True Stories Night 2, and all new Scary True Stories. (laughs) Nice. Which I actually... So Night 2's the best. Mm-hmm. Just full disclosure, Night Two's the best, um, and it does have a sequence in it that Pulse like ripped off, like straight up ripped off. I would highly recommend anybody who likes Japanese horror to go watch those. You basically have so uh, Hideo Nakata's uh, Curse Spirit and Death, also known as the Curse Doll, the Inn where the Ghost Lives, and. Uh, What's the third one? It's the one about the pond. I wouldn't know. I haven't seen it. The Spirit of the Dead. Hmm. Um, those were also in this same series. Mm-hmm. Those are really good, but I loved uh, Hantoni Atanokuai Hanashi, um, which is, you know, scary true stories. Night 2 specifically, very good. Highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any television movies? 
Not really television movies. Uh, I watched, Or just television? I've been keeping up with Kamen Rider Gotcha. It's it's okay. It's fine. I don't really love it, but it's 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 fine. I I have been rewatching the uh, the first couple episodes of Gato recently because you know Gato hype is real, <laughs> and yeah, it. That show holds up. It is still so... It, it is so good. I love the original Gar. Is as the kids these days say, peak. Peak cinema? Peak television. Peak television. Peak tokusatsu. Peak Amamiya. Have you watched any... Uh, was that all you had seen for, for that stuff? Yeah, pretty much. From what I can recall, at least. Have you watched any short films? Uh, down to hell, which we covered. Okay, that's about I, it. I'd, I'd watched the so I also watched Caterpillar, which was the director of Pinocchio nine six four, the precursor film. Mm-hmm. Um, Battle Guys one, Battle Guys two, Ramen short on your back, down to hell versus Side Story, nervous versus Side Story, nervous. Oh, I watched those as well. Yes, versus nervous. FF, and that yeah. Final Dead Ball and Minichi. So those were what I, are what I watched short film wise. The only one really to highlight there is uh, uh, On Your Back. It's by the director of Undertaker, a 2012 zombie movie. The movie On Your Back is really good. It's a it is a Yuri Yure story. Right. But it's really good. I it's short. It's sweet to the point, and I I liked it a lot actually. So I would recommend that. To anybody who's interested in Onrio and you know your you know typical or not Onrio, your typical Yuri story. So mm-hmm. yeah, I had a lot of fun with that one. It's only like twenty minutes long too, so it doesn't overstay its welcome. <laughs> I see. But with that, I think we're basically good to go. Um Damn. is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Not on the top of my head, no. Okay. Well, with that, we're going to wrap things up here. I hope you guys enjoyed this little bonus. You know, we just kind of ch- chat about some horror stuff. Just, you know, yeah, Five Nights at Freddy's, and, especially. Five Nights at Freddy's uh, is canon to the Kaiju Conversation lore now. Yep. So, with that, we're going to transition here. Um, before, I hope everybody had a happy Halloween. I hope you guys were able to enjoy some horror movies like we clearly have. And if you didn't watch any J-horror, what are you doing? Go watch J-horror. Yes, do that. So before, if you haven't watched J-horror, we're going to give you... ring? We're going to give you two recommendations each. So Rex, your two recommendations? Go watch Ring right now. Go watch it. And I guess uh, Jewel on the Grudge is pretty easy to find as well. That one's pretty good. See, those would be my two, so I'm actually going to piggyback. I'm going to say go watch Ring 2, not The Ring 2, but Ring 2, and go watch... Let's go classic. Let's go with uh, Quaidon. If you like art house films, go watch Quaidon. I admittedly have not seen Quaidon. That's a sin. Do better. Probably. You're a failure. 
Says the one that's been failing for the past 17, 19, how many years? Did you just say I was 17 years old? Almost. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's what we would recommend. Go watch those. And, uh... Go watch Ring. Go read the book. I admittedly haven't read the book, but... Go read the book. I, I need to. Go read the book. It's very good. So we're going to wrap things up here now. Rex, why don't you let the lovely people know where they can find you at? Well, dear listeners, if you don't want to be a failure like Elijah, then you're going to have to go find me on YouTube at Rexino, on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomorph, and on Instagram, Rex underscore Xeno. And if you want to check out some of my writing, go take a look at the Tokusatsu Network. As for me, hello, my name's Elijah. You can find me on Twitter at ET13Productions, on Instagram at ET13Productions, or on YouTube at ET13Productions. My Instagram is full of action figure photography. My YouTube channel is full of short films and videos I've done. I actually should be posting some uh, shorts very soon um, to the channel, so definitely check that out. Outside of that, you can also find me on the Monsters with Attitude YouTube channel, streaming once a month on the Monsters with Attitude YouTube channel. You can also check out our Facebook group where we all chit-chat about exciting stuff, daily themes, all that good jazz. Um, If you want to find my personal socials, I won't link them, but it's pretty easy to find if you want to see what's going on in my life and see what I'm up to. I am also a writer for Kaiju United, where I most recently wrote a piece on Godzilla Minus One and Takashi Yamazaki. If that's something that interests you, definitely go check that out. Outside of that, I also contributed to Giant Bug Cinema, a monster kid's guide, talking about the movie Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, which is a great movie. You should definitely check out the book and check out the movie. Yeah, go watch that. Outside of that, I think that's all I've done my understanding i think that's all i've done i don't know i lose track anymore but as for the podcast don't forget to rate us on itunes that boosts the ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you we have been review bombed, so we're sitting at like a 3.2 star rating if you guys could leave us a five star that'd be greatly appreciated if you don't have an apple device which i don't blame you i don't actually that's very much a lie i'm using a macbook right now oh no But you can rate us on Spotify, too. Definitely go check that out. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook at the same handle. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you. You can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word. You know the drill. And we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we're going to have original artwork on there. But until then, you can sport our awesome logo on a t-shirt or maybe even like a coffee mug. If you'd like to chat with us, check out our Discord server full of others that have similar interests to you. It's a great community full of great people. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. We sometimes post exclusives to the channel like bloopers for episodes or minisodes talking about news or other subjects. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kurchevsky on the channel. Definitely butchered his name, I'm sorry. But we also have other original content on there, so definitely check it out. 
A huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. His links can be found in the description below. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeMana of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website, GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster Best for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at Giant Monster BS or on any podcast platform under the name Giant Monster BS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. So thank you guys so much for checking out this bonus episode and giving us a listen. And as always, please remember life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set. We are in debt. There's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Just not too big now, baby. His name's Elijah, baby. And also Rex now, baby. We love those kaiju, baby. And you will too now.